And many of you might not be aware of this, but uh, as we think about our church family, uh, approximately 60% of those listed in our database are between newborn and age 30. 385 in the database. We are richly blessed as a church family, but we've also been entrusted with a great responsibility to invest in this next generation that's coming up behind all of us who are older this morning. Winston Churchill was raised up to be Prime Minister of Great Britain during a very difficult time in history. And he was raised up to lead Great Britain and others with courage, with charisma, with character, and with confidence. He was used to have great influence upon an entire nation, to ward off the enemy that they faced. The people rallied with courage and confidence, and the onslaught of the German army was turned back at such a difficult time in world history. Very real in the life of my family, because my dad, for two reasons, number one, my dad was seven years of age and grew up in London when the city was being bombed. And bombs landed on his street. Houses were destroyed. He often spent time in a bomb shelter in the backyard or many nights slept deep underground on the London subway system for protection. My grandfather on my mother's side of the family was on the beaches of Dunkirk. And uh, I've known that for years, but I just recently discovered from my, my dad in talking with him about my grandfather that not only was he on the beaches of Dunkirk, and you remember if you've seen the movie or read history, and you know they, they were trying to get all those men back safely across the English Channel back to Great Britain, he got on a ship which was bombed, and so he had to swim back to the beach at Dunkirk. Second time he got on a ship, and it was bombed, and he had to swim back to the beach at Dunkirk. Believe it or not, a third time he got on a ship and had to swim back to the beaches of Dunkirk. Finally, he got on a little sailing vessel when all these men came over and risked their own lives in order to save the military who were there trapped on that beach. A very real time in history. But God, at times in our history, and you see it throughout the scriptures and you see it throughout the history of the church and the history of the world, God raises up men and women young people to have influence, to have radical influence at significant times in history. Now, a lot of times people hear a message on leadership, and they think, that doesn't really relate to me. Maybe that's you this morning. So uh, to help you understand that most of you gathered in this room this morning are leaders, I'm going to ask you to get some, a little bit of physical exercise. Are you ready? If you're here as a dad this morning, please stand. Guess what? You're a leader because you have influence in your family. You may be seated. If you're here as a mom today, please stand. You're a leader. You have influence in your family. You may be seated. If you're here as a grandparent today, please stand up. <laughs> you're a leader because you have what? You have influence in the people around you. You may be seated. If you have any role of ministry in our church where you are directly involved with, with children, teenagers, young adults, older adults, please stand. It should be many of you. God bless you for serving. Guess what? You're a leader because you have influence. You may be seated. 
if you have any kind of influence and leadership in your workplace, in your community from day to day, in your school, please stand. Guess what? You're a leader because God's chosen you to have influence. You may be seated. I will stop there. We could go on. I could give you many more categories, but I don't want you to fall asleep during the sermon because of all the exercise that you are receiving this morning. Radical influence within the the community of Christ here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel, within our homes, within our uh, extended families, within our communities, within our workplaces, young people, young adults, within our schools and our universities, our colleges, wherever God has put us from day to day, and again, as part of this church family, we can have a radical influence for the Lord Jesus Christ upon those who've been entrusted to us by God to have influence upon their lives. Throughout the Bible, we can read of of numerous people whom God raised up at specific times to have influence. And I just want to reflect this morning for a, a few minutes on one of those particular leaders in the scripture. He's very familiar to many of us this morning. His name is David. And uh, we begin to learn about him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. And as you read there in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in the early verses, as he arrives at, uh, at the home of a man named Jesse, again directed by God to go to that home, and the first son comes before him. And Jesse had eight sons, and the first son comes before him. And in verse 6, when Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And then verse 7 is so significant, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his height nor his appearance, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But what does it say? The Lord looks at the heart. And God raised up David to be the next king of Israel. And there are three character qualities that are shared with us in the passage that we want to focus on this morning. It's found in Psalm 78, just verses 70 to 72. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me this morning. Or you can use the, uh, one of the Bibles there in the pew in the front of you and turn with me to Psalm 78. And we will discover as we seek to have radical influence as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, three character qualities that are listed in the life of David in these three verses that I believe all of us need to strive to have. There's certainly many more character qualities for those who have influence, but three specific ones that are listed here for us this morning in Psalm 78. Let's discover those together, and then let's ask God the Holy Spirit to apply those to our own personal lives as those who have influence. Let's pray together before we read the word of God. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for our our teenagers and young adults and Lord, their, their commitment to Christ, their commitment to serve you and to serve us as the family of God this morning. Thank you for those who give leadership in our youth ministries. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to use them to have significant influence in the hearts and lives of our precious young people. Father, I pray now as we study your word together that you would take the truth of your word, that by your Holy Spirit you would apply it to our own hearts and our own lives. And as we leave here today, our greatest desire would be not just to be mere hearers of the word, 
But as James reminds us, to put it into practice, to be doers of the word of God. So guide us by your spirit, we pray. Open our hearts to listen to what you desire to say to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along with me in Psalm 78, beginning in verse 70. If you read all the previous verses, you'll realize it really gives us an overview of the history of Israel up until this point. And it says in verse 70, God chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. Three qualities today that those of us who have influence need to strive for in our own personal lives. Number one is this. Every leader needs the heart of a servant. It says he took David his what? His servant. David learned what it meant to be, by a, to be a servant by looking after sheep. It was God's preparation in David's life for future opportunities. Uh, we should never complain to God about where he's placed us right now. God knows perfectly where you and I need to be placed in order to grow and often it leads towards what's next in our journey with Christ. And so we need to, like David, just be open. Serve where God has planted us right now. In our homes, in our families, in our church family, in our communities. We know when Samuel arrived, uh, David was not there. The seven other brothers were. But David was serving his father. He was serving his mother. He was serving his family by caring for the family flock of sheep. And God saw his servant heart, and he chose him. Of all of the brothers to choose, he chose him to be the next king of Israel. Now, when we consider here what it means to, to be a leader, and obviously you think of David's position eventually as, as king of the nation of Israel. What an incredible position to hold, and what great responsibility but when we think of, of David as a servant, we, we need to think of the New Testament word that we translate from Greek uh, into English, the word servant. Or often in some translations, it'll say the word deacon. Uh, basic definition of a deacon is a servant. And it's helpful to understand the, the etymology or the background of that particular word servant in the original Greek language. The, the phrase that best describes that word that we translate deacon or servant, is through the dust. Now, you're saying, what does that mean? Well, it comes from a picture of the Roman chariot races. And uh, if you ever watch Ben-Hur, you know, and you watch the, the kind of towards the end of the movie and there's the, the, the final chariot race that takes place, it's absolutely brutal. And that's exactly what Roman chariot races were like. Though the chariot, the one in the movie is a war chariot. They had a different racing chariot but it was basically a platform with an axle and sides around it that the, the rider could kind of grip their feet against the sides of that, that little chariot and then hold onto the reins of those two horses as they raced around the track. And obviously, as uh, you can imagine, what happened was many times because of the bumping and uh, the, the brutality of that particular Roman sporting event, many of the riders went down during the race. And many of them then obviously got run over by other horses and chariots that were coming behind. But there was a group of deacons, a group of servants, that when a rider went down 
and there was a chariot without a rider, you know what their job was to do? It was to run out onto the track in the midst of the race, grab the bridle of one of the runaway horses, and literally be dragged through the dust in order to slow that horse, those two horses and chariot down and bring them off the track for their safety. So how many of you would like to sign up to be a deacon in God's church? (laughs) To be a servant. But that's what it means for us to be a servant of Christ. There are times when you serve the Lord that it feels like you are literally being dragged through the dust. What an incredible picture for us as we think of being that type of a servant. You see, as it said about David, he, he was, took David his servant. It's interesting, being that type of a servant takes what? It takes heart. No matter what comes, you know what you're doing is right in serving the Lord. That, that kind of uh, something deep down inside of you that grips your life and affects your thinking and your actions, you know what you're doing is right. I vividly remember both days when our children first entered this world there in the delivery room. And at that moment, my life changed forever. And I realized I have a new weight of responsibility that God has placed upon me as a, as a father investing in the lives of my kids. But I knew this was right. This is what God had called me to do and to have influence. Learning what it means to, to be a servant, uh, continue to grow as a servant. Allow God to, to shape your character and shape your heart as you grow as a servant. And yes, there are times that you feel like I'm going, I'm being dragged through the dust here. Sometimes you might think as a, as a, as a mom or a dad, you just kind of feel, you know what? I wish I could just get a break. <laughs> uh, that's the wonderful thing. If mom and dad are both in the home, then they can spell one, and off, one another off at times. Please pray for those who are single parents. They don't get that same opportunity. And again, that's where I would say the extended church family can come alongside and help to be a father or to be a mother in the lives of uh, when there's only one parent in the home. But there are times where you just want a break. You kind of feel like, I wish I didn't have to do this anymore. But when you know that God has impressed this upon your heart, you feel like the demands on your time and your energy and even the trials that, that God is allowing you to go through, just remember that God takes you through those through the dust times to expand and develop your servant heart. You know, there's a key word that we find here about David down in verse 72 when it talks about him shepherding the people, when it talks about his heart, that key word is found and it says, David shepherded them with what? What kind of a heart? With integrity of heart. Integrity is so vital in our lives as followers of Jesus. If we're going to have that radical influence as leaders in the places where God has planted us, we need to strive to have integrity in our hearts. Now, was David perfect? Well, all you got to do is read back in the Old Testament and, and you know there was a time of great failure in David's life. And there was incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness when, when he finally acknowledged his sin before the Lord. You can read his confession in Psalm 51. 
but he lived with consequences. Some were short-term, some were long-term. But praise God for his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace in David's life and in our lives. But leaders need to guard carefully the integrity of our hearts. Because I've discovered if we do not have integrity in one area of our life, we don't have integrity. Because that one area where we lack integrity, maybe nobody sees it. Heard a definition of integrity uh, most recently when I was reading in, in a devotional, and, and it mentioned that integrity is who you are when no one is watching. No one sees you. But of course, God sees everything, right? And He knows our hearts. It's kind of like this when you think of integrity and we need to have it in every area of our life because if we don't have it in one area, that touches every other area. Imagine uh, you were baking a cake and you put out all the ingredients on the kitchen counter and on their own, all those ingredients had integrity. They were all good. They were all good ingredients. You mix them all together in the bowl. You put the cake in the oven. You bake the cake. Everybody gets to enjoy it at dinner time. The finished product has integrity. Why? Because every individual ingredient has integrity. Now, maybe for happens to you, or maybe it has happened to you, maybe one of the eggs that you mix into the, the, with the other ingredients is rotten, but you don't notice it. And so you mix all the ingredients together. You think everything is totally fine. The cake goes in the oven. The finished product comes out. And at dinner time, at dessert that night, the family kind of thinks, mom's had a really long day. <laughs> this just doesn't take like, taste like the normal cake. Well, you see, what happened was, on their own, all those other ingredients had integrity. But when that one rotten egg was mixed in, it touched every other ingredient. And then the finished product lacked integrity. I like to watch uh, May Day on television, documentary about aircraft crashes and the investigation that goes into that. And often it's because of one small part of that aircraft that lacked integrity. There was a structural failure of some kind that caused an entire aircraft to crash into the ground. It happens on bridges, it happens on uh, staircases. <laughs> it's happened in hotels with, with platforms. Just a lack of integrity. And that has a huge ripple effect. And you know that's true in our lives as well. If we lack integrity as those whom God has raised up to have influence, then that not only affects our lives personally, but can have a huge ripple effect into our families, into our communities, into our church family. And so I would say, like David, though he was not perfect and none of us are, we need to be known as people of influence who shepherd with integrity of heart. And so I would say to all of us, guard your heart. The book of Proverbs early on talks about that. It speaks to young people especially. <laughs> it says young men, young women, guard your heart. Because everything comes out of our hearts. And our character begins to show be accountable in your marriage. Be accountable <laughs> to your spouse with a, a group of friends and even if it's only one person. And I would say males need, outside if you're married, obviously accountability to your wife and wives to their husbands. But on top of that, find one man, find one other man that you have confidence in and you trust. And you can just have them hold you accountable. And women, exactly the same. 
don't do it with another man or men don't do it with another woman other than your spouse <laughs> and women don't do it with another man it needs to be a man or a woman that you can come alongside who knows you enough to ask the hard questions and with that that just helps us to be accountable and pray like crazy because Satan absolutely hates us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ the word Christian was first used in the New Testament. Do you know what the word Christian means? It means little Christs. We are little Christs in this world. And we know Satan hates Jesus. <laughs> he absolutely hates you as a follower of Jesus. So guard carefully your heart. So number one, as we seek to have people be men and women and people of influence, every leader needs the heart of a servant. Number two, Every leader needs the humility of a shepherd. And we know David was a shepherd. And that was his occupation before he became the king of the nation of Israel. And looking after physical sheep is hard work. It's not the nice picture we have at Christmas time on the Christmas cards. You know, that's a beautiful setting. And, uh, you know, or we sing while shepherds watch their flocks by night all seated on the ground. Uh, that's a nice scene. And there are those moments in being a shepherd but sheep require care 24-7. And back in the day of, of, of David, you know, there really weren't barns to lock the sheep into overnight. There were sheep pens that, that some uh, uh, shepherds had where they would have fences or stone walls to protect their sheep, but those didn't provide adequate protection to allow shepherds, some shepherds, to avoid the night shifts. Uh, some sheep as well belonged to what are called nomadic shepherds. And uh, they didn't have a specific place. They would just go from place to place with their sheep to find, find good pasture and, and to, uh, to raise their sheep. Uh, therefore, those sheep, along with those shepherds, they slept out in the open fields. Usually they would find a stand of trees or, or maybe a, a stone uh, wall of some kind where uh, they could find some shelter and some protection. We know that physical sheep, they, what did they do? They wander away. They get sick easily. They are slow and awkward, especially when their wool is thick and full. They are easy and delicious prey for wolves and other predators. They cannot look after themselves. They are totally dependent upon a shepherd to care for their daily needs. Does that describe your children, parents? <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what? It describes all of us as well, right? As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Praise God that when we come to the place of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we admit that we are sinners, and we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the full price for all of our sin, we then have a good shepherd who laid down his life for who? For his sheep. Laid down his life for us. Not only does that describe children and can it be applicable to children when we think about physical sheep, it also applies to the children of God. Uh, God's flock. And, and we here today, if you know and love Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are a child of God and you'll be a child of God for the rest of your life. Even if you're 85 years of age and been a believer for a long time, you'll be a child of God until you enter eternity. 
then you'll be an adult. <laughs> then we will understand, right? Everything will be fully known. But until then, we are children of God and we need to be guided and shepherded. That's the incredible role that, that God gives to those who give spiritual oversight to a local expression of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, primarily in the scripture, that's given to elders. And we are blessed as a congregation to have 11 men who give good and godly leadership in our church. We praise God for them and thank God for them and we pray for them. And as we give leadership, those of us who are called to give leadership and influence in the church, we need to allow Jesus to be our shepherd, the good shepherd, so we can learn how to shepherd. And even as a parent, I would say to you, don't stop learning what it means to be a shepherd. Look to the good shepherd. Look to his example in the Gospels and how he shepherded people. Specifically, his, his shepherding and investment and influence in the lives of the disciples and how they were raised up. And 11 of the 12 went on to have incredible influence for the good news of the Gospel. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 1 to 3. Or 2 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3 as they speak to us. It says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being what? Examples to the flock. And I would carry this further. Yes, this is written directly to elders in the church who give important spiritual leadership. But I would extend it in our own homes that we have an elder role as parents. And it says to be what? To be an example to the flock. Example there means this, to make an impression or to, to leave a mark upon someone's life. That's what it means to be an example. You know, when I think of elders specifically and just in my past experience in the church, most commonly elders were responsible for four things in a local body of Christ. Number one, they were responsible for direction the future direction of the church. And uh, I appreciate, as you see on the wall there, the vision, what we believe God wants Wallenstein Bible Chapel to become. We're not there yet, but that's our vision. We believe God wants us to be a church that is all for Christ. And then over here is our mission, <laughs> what we believe God wants us to do in order to become all for Christ. <laughs> so helping people find and follow Jesus. And I know our elders, as they thought about direction for the future, this is the direction they believe God wants us to have as a church. And I would say it is a solid biblical direction for Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Elders also, as a shepherd, are responsible for discipline. When they see one of us wandering away from the Lord, living in sin, struggling in our faith, they have a biblical responsibility to graciously and kindly come alongside and again, not their opinion, but speak the truth of God's word into our lives so that we can get back into a right relationship with the Lord. They're responsible for disciple making, helping people find 
and follow Jesus. And then they are responsible for doctrine, to maintain the truth of God's word. So whatever you hear from the pulpit, whatever you are taught in a class, in a youth class, a children's class, a small group, it is foundational upon the truth of God's words. And elders are responsible for that. But I also believe in our own homes, we are also responsible for those same things as we seek to have the kind of influence that God wants you to have. Listen to Proverbs 27, verse 23. It says this, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Are those wise words for a farmer? Of course they are. But that's also wise words for us when we think of those we are influencing. And then it also says in the book of Ecclesiastes 10, 10 verse 18, if the roof leaks, the rafters sag. Now, you know that doesn't happen right away. But as the roof begins to leak and more and more water pours in, and maybe you're not even noticing it's happening, eventually it lands on that wood, and we know what happens when wood gets wet. It warps, and then everything begins to sag. And it's usually out of neglect or not paying attention to the responsibilities that God has given to us. And that can exactly happen in our lives as well and in our influence. I would say to all of us as we think about uh, having, being an example, leaving an impression, making a mark upon those that we are influencing, we need to do all we can to live out the reality of our relationship with Jesus in front of them. It would be tragic for any of our children or grandchildren when they stand before God one day, and everyone will, when they stand before God and they say, well, I didn't see that in my parents or my grandparents. Now, they're accountable for themselves. They have to make their own decisions when they reach a certain age of accountability. But wouldn't that be tragic for any of us? So I would say, do all we can, as parents, as grandparents, and within our church family, with all these next generation who've been entrusted to us, do all we can to live out the reality of our relationship with Jesus. I find it very interesting in our church, love to see people being baptized. But the majority have been baptized in the last year are what age? Teens and young adults. God bless you. It's a great example to all of us. And I would say to you here this morning, no matter what age you are, but especially if you're older and you know, you're either a new believer or you've been journeying with Jesus for a number of years, but you've never made that public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to get that done right away. Talk to one of our elders. They'd be more than glad to talk with you about that opportunity. You just need to do it. One, it's simple obedience to the truth of God's words. And number two, it's an incredible example and you might think, you know, I put that off for years. It's a little embarrassing for me to do that now. Just put that aside. That's not from God. Nothing to be embarrassed about whatsoever. Just do it and be an example, not just in baptism, but in every area of our lives. See, God is the one who has chosen you to be a leader, to be an influencer. It's a privileged position. It's a high and it's a holy calling. Live out the humility of a shepherd as you fulfill your calling. And you know, I was also thinking to myself, just in the area of caring for others, the opportunity, and we're wonderfully blessed with Pastor Wayne and many others who serve in what's called our Stephen Ministries, uh, the caring ministries of our church, who come alongside others to help them in their journey with Jesus. And maybe right now today you say, I am struggling in my journey with Jesus. We have some wonderful shepherds in our church family 
who are there and available for you. Just reach out and they'd be more than delighted to share with you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. So number one, every leader needs the heart of a servant. Number two, every leader needs the humility of a shepherd. And number three, every leader needs hands of skill. What did it say at the bottom of verse 72? It says, with skillful hands, David led them. As you look at the life of David, you see the physical abilities that he possessed. I loved hearing as a boy in Sunday school thinking, maybe I can do this one day. But he killed a lion and a bear with what? With his bare hands. I thought, boy, I wish I was David. Wouldn't that be an incredible story to tell my friends what I was able to do as a child? We also see him using skilled hands to sling a stone accurately and with extreme velocity at Goliath. The stone was aimed directly at his temple and it sunk into his forehead, the one place that could bring that man down to the ground. Who gave David those skillful hands? Well, God gave him those physical hands. In the Bible, you discover men whom God gave the ability, men and women, God gave the ability to use their hands to fashion tools, carve wood, and shape gold, silver, and other precious metals into ornate designs. They were the craftspeople of all kinds. And maybe that's your gift and your ability. Go back and read the description of the tabernacle and then the description of the temple in the Old Testament. It is absolutely incredible. And it was done by hands of people. In 1 Chronicles 12, verse 2, we read of soldiers in the Jewish military who could shoot arrows and sling stones left or right-handed. They were ambidextrous archers. We read in Judges 20, verse 16, 700 chosen men, left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I thought our Toronto Blue Jays in the playoffs this year could have used one of those guys on the team. <laughs> Hands of skill. You know, God gave David the gifts and the abilities he needed to lead the nation of Israel with skill. Now, as a leader today, as an influencer, you might look at your physical hands and you think, I don't really have a lot of skill with these physical hands. Many people do. I'm grateful that God's given me skill with these hands. I had to go one time in a church with our child and youth worker protection because I was on pastoral staff. Not only did they do the, the background search, they also wanted to fingerprint me for the RCMP and check out the database, just make sure there was nothing in my past that the church needed to know. Now, they'd already hired me as the pastor, so I don't know what they were going to do if they did find something out. But anyways, when I went to get fingerprinted, um, because of a lot of work that I've done with my hands, there was only two fingers, and it took about an hour for them to get uh, something they could actually use to send into the database. I'd worn off the fingerprints of most of my hands. There was only two fingers that had a little bit left to be able to identify me. Um, I'd make a good thief, I guess, because I wouldn't leave any fingerprints behind. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people are very skillful when it comes to building and repairs and, and to handiwork. Maybe you're like a pastor friend of mine who held up his hands one day and you said, you see these? They're purely ornamental. <laughs> and he had no skill when it came to tools and those kind of things. And yet, when you think of your physical hands, even if you can't do those kind of craftsman type of things, you can use your physical hands to hug your wife and your husband and your children and your grandchildren. You can use them to catch a ball when you're playing with your kids. 
These physical hands can be used to, to hold the hands of a little child, your little child, to keep them safe and close. Or they can be used to, to cover their eyes from a, a frightening scene that you weren't anticipating. Or to change a dirty diaper. Or to hold them in your lap when you read them a bedtime story. Or to hold their hands in yours as you, you pray together. They can be used to hug and comfort a grieving couple whose child has died. It can be there to hold the hand of an elderly lady whose husband is serious ill and is close to eternity. Again, that's the value of incredible care within a church family, and, and we have that here, <laughs> that we have people who come alongside in those times of great, desperate need in the lives of people to show wonderful care. I call that the, the ministry of presence, just being there and being available at the time of greatest need in people's lives. And sometimes I've been in those situations, you're with a couple whose little child has just passed, you're there in the hospital with them, or you're there with someone whose spouse is near death. And I always pray, God, let me know when to speak and when to be silent. And there often is a time to say something, and then there's a lot of time just to be there and to be silent. See, your hands can be used for a multitude of things. And, but on top of that, God also gave David spiritual gifts. And if you're here today as a follower of Jesus, according to the New Testament, you have at least one spiritual gift. Many of you have far more that God is developing in your lives. Gifts that are used to, to bless God's church and to reach out to those who need Jesus. You can find the list in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And I love it because as you read those chronologically, the list gets shorter and shorter. And finally, Peter finally says, if your gift is serving, then do what? Serve. If your gift is speaking, then speak. And maybe you have gifts in both areas. Just use your gifts for the glory of God to build up the church family, to reach out with the good news of the gospel. And as you use your spiritual gifts, you are showing to those around you that you are influencing the reality of your relationship with Jesus. You're being an example to them. So moms and dads, grandparents, as you serve in the church, you're setting an example for your children and your young people. Young people, as you serve in the church, you're setting an example for your peers of what it means to truly serve Christ and to use your gifts for the glory of God. And there's many ways those gifts can be expressed. Some this morning were using their gift in a way that I would, you wouldn't want me to use. They were helping lead us in musical worship. They were helping us see Christ high and lifted up in this place. Every leader is to serve to serve their families, to serve the bride of Christ. Every follower of Jesus is to, to be involved in influencing children and young people with the truth of God's words. Uh, leaders need to lead by example. Again, make an impression. Uh, leave a mark upon the lives of others when it comes to spiritual matters. Our church family and others, our children, need to see the reality of our relationship with Jesus being lived out. And you know what? We can always grow in our skills. None of us are there yet. And again, through our church, there's wonderful opportunities as you think about spiritual gifts. Maybe you don't know today what your spiritual gift is. We can help you, number one, discover your gift. And then we can help you develop your gift. 
And then eventually we'd want you to deploy that gift or gifts and use them to help fulfill the vision and do the mission that God has called us to. But there's wonderful opportunities to be trained. One of those opportunities is in our Stephen ministry, our care ministry. You're going to hear a little bit more about that after I finish. But ways that you can be trained in order to serve others with great compassion and great care. See, God chose David to lead his people Israel. As I think about our children, God chose me to be the dad for Josiah Thorogood. And I put down Talisha Thorogood, then I realized two weeks ago her surname changed. It's now Talisha Trust. God chose me for those two particular individuals to be their dad. I am the dad that they need. And God's chosen you to have influence. And as we strive to be the leaders and the influencers that God's called us to be, let's ask God to develop in us the heart of a servant, to live out the humility of a shepherd, and use hands of skill to lead our families and those entrusted to us by God himself. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The privilege that is ours and really a gift and a responsibility entrusted to us from you to have radical influence within the community of Christ and within our families and within the community of people that we rub shoulders with from day to day. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. Allow us, our Father, we pray, to take it to our hearts and then to live it out in our daily lives and to have wonderful influence for the cause of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.